0: Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast. It's Monday, July 11th, and this is the inaugural episode of the podcast. Ruby on Rails is the hottest thing in web application development, and in this podcast we will explore the wonderful communities that it's built up around it. This first episode is hosted and sponsored by me, Scott Barron, of Lunchbox Software. Of course, by sponsored by, I mean that I should be working, but I'm recording this podcast instead. So, what's this all about? Well, we're still developing ideas, but at this point, we're going to use the podcast to bring you news, answer your questions, and give you interviews with people close to Rails. If you want to know what David's favorite ice cream flavor is, or whether Jeremy Kemper is a boxers or briefs man, you'll need to listen here. We've got that info. We might also include some bits more general to Ruby or the web application industry. We're also exploring the possibility of sending along video enclosures to demonstrate code tricks and snippets. Videos are all the rage these days, but can be a little hard to convey with just audio. Speaking of answering your questions, you can send your questions or feedback to railspodcast, that's one word, at gmail.com. That's railspodcast at gmail.com. You can ask us anything. We're not shy. If you want to send along an audio recording of your question, we may air that if the quality is reasonable. MP3 format should be just fine. So do send in those questions, otherwise you're going to get a whole lot of my rambling. That's not really what you want. There's a website for this podcast up at podcast.rubyonrails.org. You can also find us on our friends audio.com and hopefully iTunes once Steve Jobs personally approves our feed. So one thing we could use here is a clever name for the podcast. Rails Podcast is a little boring, so if you've got any ideas, do send them in. We'll have a little Name This Podcast contest. If we choose your name, we'll make you world famous by announcing it here on the show. Alright, since this is the inaugural episode, I thought we'd jump right in and interview the man himself, David Heinemeyer Hansen. Of course, David is the driving force behind Rails' movement, and we'll see what he's got to say about the Rails phenomenon. But first, we'll do a bit of news. You may have noticed that Rails 0.13.1 was released today. This release brings back the performance of the Ruby MySQL bindings. Many of you noticed that ODOT 13 promised huge performance increases, but actually ended up being slower in some cases. Well, it was the Ruby MySQL bindings. The experience I had was that tests for one of my MySQL projects were taking 101 seconds to run on the Ruby bindings, and only 8 seconds to run on the C bindings, so something was definitely wrong there. Well, it's all been fixed now, and everyone should be back at full speed. The problem with WebRick opening database connections and not closing them has also been fixed. Another interesting addition is that limit and offset now work with eager loading of has one and belongs to associations. Due to the finicky nature of SQL though, limit and offset are still incompatible with has many and has and belongs to many. Also along for the ride is a big bag of delicious scriptaculous additions and fixes. Thomas didn't want to elaborate any more than spitting out a link to the action pack change log, so I'll defer you to that document to determine what is in the delicious bag. Many of you have been keeping up with the beta releases of Dave Thomas's Rails book. The book is great, required reading if you want to get into Rails, or even if you're already into Rails. I still consult it, and I've been using Rails since 0.5, so don't think that there's nothing there for you to learn. Dave is an excellent author, and he's even agreed to be on the show, so listen for that. So the book. I have it on word from Dave that the first printing version of the PDF should be ready next week print version of the book will make its first showing at O'Reilly's OSCon, which is in Portland, Oregon from August 1st through August 5th. If you're going to be in the area, it's not too late to go. Speaking of OSCon, if you didn't already know, there's going to be a huge Ruby showing there this year. Our own David Heinemeier hansen is giving a session, a keynote, and a tutorial. All Rails related, of course. Dave Thomas is giving a Ruby tutorial, and Jim Weirich, one of my personal Ruby heroes who I've just had the pleasure to meet, is giving two sessions, one about Ruby for Java programmers and another about the elusive dependency injection in Ruby. Also on the ticket is the mysterious rock star of Ruby, known only as Why the Lucky Stiff. Why we'll be talking about, well, something. I'm not really sure. Whenever I read why, I start having acid flashbacks, so you'll have to go and find out what that's all about. I'm pretty sure puppets are involved, though, so it should be a good time. In other news... Two more members of the core team have broken away from the man and are starting their own thing. Marcel Molina Jr. and Sam Stevenson have formed a company called Ionist. Ionist does both consulting and application development, and they're currently available. Check out their website at ionist.com. They've also got one of those trendy domain names that use obscure country code TLDs to form a word. It is Ion I.st, Ionist. They've got a Tumblog up at Projectionist. That's project... Dot I-O-N-I dot Do look these guys up if you need any Rails work done. They really are top notch. Marcel is my wonderfully articulate co-author of Pragmatic Rails Recipes to be published by Pragmatic Programmers and Sam is the mastermind behind the prototype JavaScript library that's taken the Ajax world by storm. I'd also like to congratulate core member Jameis Buck on his 1,000th wedding anniversary. Congratulations Jameis and here's to 1,000 more. I think that's all the breaking news for now. You can catch up on the last few weeks by reading weblog.rubyonrails.com where David posts frequently about happenings in the community. It should be the first thing you check every morning. All right, so uh, here's the interview segment with David. Um, It ended up being about uh, 30 minutes long or so, and I'm going to have to do a little bit of a hack to get this thing to all flow together smoothly, and hopefully it works out well. Okay, here we go. Hey. Hey, David. How's it going? It's going good. Is the uh, sound okay? Oh, yeah. Sounds great here. All right. All right. So we're here with David Heinemeier Hansen, the man behind Rails. Um, Let's just start out, David. um, What's it been like riding the huge success that Rails has become?
1: It's been um, quite surreal, really. Um, I think that one of the things that I'm I'm most... um, overwhelmed by is uh, how fast it's just been keeping on growing. That Mm -hmm. it wasn't this initial surge and then no interest, which is what I've I've seen and been through with other projects I've been involved in, in that whenever you announce something, there's the initial excitement of something new, and then people either try it out or just read the announcement, and then there's no excitement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it's, it's really satisfying that um, that something is, is having a success because people just really like using it every day and they actually get work done with it. And I think that's a big part of what keeps uh, Rails' success and keeps getting more people into it. It's just that uh, the people who are actually using it, oftentimes uh, that's the driver for their work, or at least that's what they're aspiring to to use it for, and, and when you have a situation where you use something for so many hours a day, I think it's it's inhuman not to um, let that affect your your thinking, and especially if you're enjoying it, not to let that affect um, how you're communicating with the world. And I think that's creating a huge positive feedback loop of people just saying, "I like my work," um, and that, again, attracting new people to it. Um, but, of course, also that it's been at least a somewhat conscious effort to to keep it interesting, mm-hmm. not just to burn all the powder in one, one shot and then not have anything left. So I think that uh, there's been at least a somewhat conscious effort of of, of having something new to say about Rails for a for long time. I think that's, that has worked, too, that we've been able to to jump on uh, new trends and stuff like that. Ajax came out of, I um, wouldn't say out of nothing, but came out of nothing as this huge meme sweeping through the internet mm-hmm. in the beginning of the year. And Rails being on that so quickly, so intensively, I think is also what keeps carrying it through. Mm-hmm. All right. um, so yeah, yeah it's, it, it's been... Um, it's been, it's been wild, but also really cool uh, sharing something that you like a ton yourself with others who uh, get passionate about it is something, so sort of the best kind of uh, feedback I like is just people saying, I enjoy my work life more now.
0: Right, and that, that's definitely what it's been for me, uh, I was about ready to give up on programming until Rails came along. So, um, it's been, what, this month is one year now since the public release. um...
1: Yeah, we're coming up on, on the, uh, birthday on the 24th yeah. of this month.
0: Do you have any special plans? A little, you're going to throw a little party for that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, I'd like to. I, I, it's close enough to OSCON that I think we got to have a, uh, Rails birthday cake or something going on <laughs> at uh, OSCON in, in Portland, um... But otherwise, the, the big thing, of course, is the upcoming 1.0 release, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, we're close enough to 1.0 now that we're eyeing the possibility of, of at least being in release candidate day status once the uh, birthday turns around. Um, I think that's going to be a, a very nice celebration of the year gone by.
0: I think so. So. We're pretty much locking in on 1.0. What do you see happening in Rails post 1.0? I
1: I think that writing um, um, the book with Dave Thomas has definitely uh, injected me with with this sense of um, uh, of the importance of stability and at least having somewhat of quiet periods. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, quite a few. Um, Let's call them arguments uh, Mm -hmm. over adding new stuff to Rails while Dave was trying to pin everything down on paper Mm -hmm. and describe it to people. And even just uh, normal people using Rails, adapting from version to version with all the changes going on. Mm -hmm. And and I'm definitely um, warming up to the idea that having 1.0 or something around 1.0 be stable for a longer while would be a good idea. And I think that much of the work done on Rails is now um, in the state that it's, it's pretty damn fine. And mm-hmm. it's pretty damn fine in the way that uh, we don't necessarily need to, to tweak so much about it right now. And I think that that will leave us uh, time to focus on some of the stuff around Rails. Um doing more on, on helper applications that can support the main framework and stuff like that that doesn't necessarily involve major changes in the framework. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Rails will ever um, stabilize into sense of uh, struts, for example, that you um, get yourself into a situation where you just have Being uh, trapped by human success, of course. Mm -hmm. So many people have written so much code against something that any major change, you might as well just start a new project. Uh, I definitely have high hopes for Rails 2.02 and the ability to make uh, fairly drastic changes as we learn more and as we are able to simplify these things even more. I'm not at all ready to handle
0: handover rails to to the legacy bin at one mm-hmm. great um <clears throat> all right so i kind of want to talk a little bit about process and um, the processes you use every day so you've got this leadership style where you pretty much delegate whatever can be delegated and you step in at the appropriate times um, did you learn this from anyone in particular or is it just some kind of divine gift that you have
1: <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything divine over it. I think that um, I've been involved in quite a few communities over time. Uh, I started out uh, playing role playing games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And I was always the GM, the game master. Mm-hmm. So even at that point, I was um, uh, learning the skills that it takes to make. Uh, a group of people mesh and accomplish something, and that definitely takes um, delegating work. Um, and further on with the uh, working as a gaming journalist and working on a publication where you have writers and need to coordinate all that stuff, it just you you realize that you can't do everything yourself. And even more interesting, that you're not you don't want to do everything yourself because uh, one of the main reasons that I got into programming, uh, this story I've told a few times, is that uh, I wanted programs. I didn't want to be a programmer, but I wanted to product programs. And I think now that I'm somehow um, cheering on this framework thing, I'm, I'm still in large intense, just interested in that damn framework, not necessarily writing it. Writing it was a necessary evil mm-hmm. for me in, in some aspects, and I'm intensely gratified by by the ability to have such a, a strong core group around Rails that delegation is just something that works really, really well. And I think that... us uh, excuse me. Uh, delegation is a huge reason why Rails has such a, such a vibrant community. Um, because it has just been... Uh, fairly easy for a large number of people to get into the development of Rails itself. And once you've committed your first patch against a project, that's yeah. like uh, the vampire's bite. You're in. Um, theres it, it, It's really addictive, I think, to be a contributor to open source projects. So to have a successful open source project, you really need uh, a project and a, a team around the project that welcomes contributions, and um, I I not only welcome contribution, I I try to force contribution upon people Mm -hmm. um, by doing this delegation-style thing. And I think that one of the other reasons that it works so well with Rails is just because Ruby is a really uh, nice environment for delegation because the code is so readable you need to settle on so few conventions to have a code base that looks uniform that there's not a long training period where you need to train somebody hard to become a contributor in order for their patches to, to mesh with the code base you have already. Mm-hmm. So the barriers of, uh, of establishing uh, a successful open source project in, in Ruby, I think, is, is so much less. Because it's so much easier to accept contribution from more people, and and that makes it even more safe to to ask for contributions and to to welcome people uh, who contribute heavily to a core group of uh, of guys that can drive the project together.
0: Right. So um, speaking of that, you've got. What are there now, three core members who have full commit access to the repository? Uh, how's that been working out?
1: I think it's been working out really well. I For the longest time, uh, up until I think just even last month, I was the only person who had full commit rights to the project. Mm-hmm. And that was initially born out of um, my uh, intent that Rails be designed, be driven by... One vision and one culture, in order to not fall into the trap of something like PHP, where you just have uh, so many different styles in the naming of the methods and so on, and um, not to slam on PHP, but just that's just the way it is because you just have so many contributors uh, who each took their individual style, and there was no single guy, or at least that's how it appears, that there wasn't a single strong force at the top saying, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, I think that's incredibly important. I think that that's one of the reasons why Ruby language is so well thought out and so uh, nice to use. It's just because there was this one driving mission. And, uh, and, I, and I cared a lot about that at the beginning, which was why I, I just... Kept it close. I kept the keys to the repository close. Also because I didn't have, I didn't feel the need uh, to open it up because the method of doing divs and patches uh, works very well. It's a barrier that helps you ensure that every piece of code that goes in has peer. Uh, what do you call it? Peer revision. Um, that somebody else is looking on code before it goes into codebase, and especially starting out, I wanted to be damn sure that I understood every single line of Rails, mm-hmm. that I didn't grew this uh, Hydra with thousands of heads that I couldn't control. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to understand it at all. But that it, it started to, I started to lose nerve on that. Once um, I think the first guy was Leon Brent uh, who contributed action. Uh, web services, mm-hmm. um, well, he came along with this basically done package that was done exactly according to all the conventions that I've used for all the other packages, uh, the code looked really nice, and he was really into it, and it, at that point, I was the guy who knew way less, and it seemed silly that I was standing in the way of, of him working on something that he had been dreaming this one vision on, um, so Leon got access to, to a slice of the repository on Action Web Services and time went on and then um, I brought on uh, James Buck and Jeremy Kemper um, to become full commit members too due to their intimate knowledge of the whole code base that has really been my my determining factor on whether to grant somebody committed access or not, we have a core group that's I don't know, 10 people or something, where not everybody has full commit rights just because not everybody has a good understanding or at least patches against all parts of the system. And I think that's that's pretty important. That If you have commit rights, you need to uh, know, if I'm committing this patch, what effects will it have on the rest of the code base? And you really need to deeply understand the rest of the code base in order to, to do that. Um, so it... Right now, it's more of a process of um, just waiting for that kind of contributors to emerge. Just uh, a few days ago, um, we added uh, Nicolas Sikar to the list of uh, committers just because he, by the patches he had submitted, he had achieved that status for himself that he had just worked on pretty much all parts of the code base, and it just made sense. There's also this, you get this uh, tipping point where uh, I get it, at least. When I get a, when I was getting patches from Nicholas for in preparation of zero uh, point thirteen release, um, I, at the end of it, I, I was hardly looking at the patches because mm-hmm. I had reviewed so many of his patches before that I just knew that he was integrated. He was doing the stuff like I would have done it, um, and at that point, I was really just. Um, an unnecessary gatekeeper, and I could just as well grant him full access to it. Uh, so that's, yeah. So, so so now we have four people: um, Jameis, Jeremiah, uh, and me, and Nicholas, who have full commit rights. And yeah, I, I think I, I don't have anything at this point, at least, especially against granting more people commit rights. It's just people who have patches against the whole code page just. just that takes, a time, that, that takes a long time for somebody to achieve that mm-hmm. point.
0: Yeah, as an observer, I think it's been going great. And the, the guys that have commit access rights are definitely top-notch. So, yeah, um,
1: and that's definitely also um, what I like about giving somebody commit rights is that you're also acknowledging that they now know so much about the project, and about Rails and the internal workings of Rails, that I'm confident uh, letting them have the keys to drive it. And I think, hopefully, that serves as a a, as a sign of trust and something they can use when getting jobs or whatever. I, I actually already hired one of them, so... Um, right. James <laughs> is working for 37 Tickles, so...
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So we've seen a number of people... Um, that are starting to take on Rails consulting and development full time, uh, quitting their regular jobs. So uh, what do you think about doing this overworking at a more conventional shop at a larger company?
1: I think that there's a unique opportunity right now where Rails is having a ton of buzz and there's a lot of companies out there who are um, interested in finding out what this is all about, but don't necessarily have... Time scales in house uh, to know all about Rails. So there's, I, th- I see a big market guiding that kind of companies mm-hmm. with consulting gigs. Either uh, developing applications together with them, or for them, or even just doing training. Um, and I think it's really smart setting up consultancy. I, I, of course, I have to say this. Uh, I have to encourage the. Um, um, the ecosystem around this. But I also see it really as a smart business move because the core group, uh, the developers working closely with Rails, all of them are working commercially with Rails. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely demand for this, and I think it's really great to to brand yourself as somebody who specializes in this and, and take this as, as your... Um, Primary thing to do because it just sets you apart from everybody else who's waiting to feel out if this Rails thing or this Ruby thing is actually going to take off or not. There's a a window of opportunity right now to establish yourself as an authority uh, on this field and hopefully reap the benefits of uh, having done that once Rails takes off even further. So I I definitely encourage people to do it. But I also, I, I hope that the people incorporating behind Rails at least um, spend some time getting good at it. I mean, I, I'd hate to see a lot of Rails shop, not that I've seen it, but just a lot of Rails shop just saying, oh, we're doing Rails because that sounds like a fancy thing to do, but once they t- take on their first project, that's where they learn Rails. That mm-hmm. would seem very silly to me. Yeah. But I, I don't see that happening. Most people who are incorporating around Rails are people who have been doing it for a long time. Um, so I, I think that's that's great. And I think it, it's especially great because that's a way I can cha- channel my ambitions. Uh, since I'm not able to do all this stuff myself, working for 307Signals, um, I, I think it's really great that... Um, somebody else is taking advantage of all of these leads and opportunities arising.
0: So do you think um, that the freedom one has when they kind of go on their own, do you think that will have any significant benefit to the advancement of rails? Maybe more contributions back to rails because they don't have to um, focus on something some manager wants them to do and they've got more time to explore rails itself while they're working?
1: Definitely. I, I think that a lot of open source projects have benefited greatly from having consultant shops focus on, on a framework or a library, something like that. I mean, there's been, um, in the Java world, we've had a lot of uh, frameworks, like Spring, where you have a company cooperating behind that and, and really helping to drive the, the framework forward. I think that once you're a consultant working on pushing rails, you're... Um, ambitions uh, automatically aligned behind having a stronger rails. So everything that improves rails and moves rails forward is in your best interest for growing your market. So I think it, it's definitely going to help it. And I think we're going to have uh, a lot more intensely dedicated uh, people around pushing rails forward, both from a uh, bus perspective, but also from a technology perspective, Um I definitely see a big part of what Rails is right now as coming from the commercial adoption of it and coming from the commercial birth of it, that I needed it to do work that people were paying me at that time to do. And I think that that's a a very uh, beneficial driver for, for your focus, that you... In, in some uh, regards, you just tend to de-emphasize a lot of the needless technical arguments just because in the larger grand scale things, it just doesn't matter. Uh, and I think that kind of focus is it's great for cutting down on the needless squabble that often goes on in technical circles where you're just debating uh, small technical details. And it's, it's helpful to have a larger vision for things that we're using this to get stuff done. Um, that's a good drug thing.
0: All right. So um, we we'll talked a little bit about 37 Signals. Um, they seem to be getting pretty popular with Basecamp and Backpack. Um, is there anything upcoming from 37 c- Signals that you can talk about?
1: There's always something upcoming <laughs> from 37 <laughs> Signals. Um, But, yeah, in in particular, we've just slightly hinted at, at the moment, the project I'm working on right now, which is something called WriteBoard. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I don't think we have a small piece of page for it, but I think just for for a little while to go, we're just going to keep quiet on it in the sense of how it actually works out. And and another thing we're working on is uh, this project we're calling Basecamp 2. Which is not really a new, uh, uh, re- or a replacement for Basecamp, but more project of taking one section at a time in Basecamp and then bringing it up to date. Basecamp was starting to look a little bit um, dated, at least from the interface and technical perspective, compared to the other projects that we were doing, uh, TodoList and, and Backpack, especially with the, the whole Ajax thing. Mm-hmm. That, once you're used to uh, not having any page reloads and any of the actions you're doing on an individual uh, backpack page, it feels old to go back to something that reloads all the time. And especially so because a lot of the customers we have for Backpack are using Basecamp 2 and vice versa. So the difference was is starting to get really apparent for a lot of people. So we're working on um, updating that, and that's James is primarily driving that one forward. Uh, so we, we did the first update of the um, one of the longest held uh, constraints we had in the system where you could only have, have one client to a project, uh, which was made sense at the time. Oh, yeah, you have a firm, you have a client. We were thinking of the whole creative services business, and that's how it works. But sometimes you have multiple firms of contractors, or you have multiple clients, and room involved with the same uh, project and we just needed to update that and fix that really deep assumption. That took a lot of time but at the same time we also went through and updated the whole creating project phase and made everything nice and modern and Ajax-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and now James is working on doing the same for the um, to-do list section so it's going to feel as nice as snappy and drag and drawable as, uh, um, as Backpack does. It's, it's it's funny um, since Basecamp was was started this whole thing, the foundation for Rails and the foundation for the company that Thirty Seven Signals is now, and all of this is just um, a year and a half ago, and it's just, it just feels so odd that a project that recent can somehow feel dated, mm-hmm. but just a testament to how fast these things move, and sometimes you get this uh, tide something like Ajax that just um, raises the expectations of her to, to new heights, and everything that doesn't live up to that starts to, to feel dated. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing now, we are also uh, um, uh, working on a way to gather and communicate all these thoughts we're having on the process of creating applications like base cam and backpack and so on, the whole web app thing. We've been posting a number of posts on signal versus noise, our weblog, uh, about the getting real process, as we're calling it, mm-hmm. uh, which is processes fancy words for a very few bundle of steps and, and just some uh, positions on on some uh, on some topics, and we're gathering that together and finding some way that we can. Have spread that message a bit more. That's, so, are,
0: so are we yeah. going to see something like um, the building of base camp, but on a more broader level, coming out of 37 Signals?
1: Yeah, something like that. That we're hoping to do, and we're also building a base camp. We've done building a base camp is a workshop we've been doing mm-hmm. uh, for quite a while now, on various cities, uh, and I think that. That one is perhaps close to the end of its run, and we need to rethink it a bit. I we really enjoyed doing these workshops, but we need to do a, a larger update on the content, and not just the small adjustments we've been making um, as we've been doing during the workshops we've had done so far. So we're probably also going to update that and announce like a new series of these things at some point. Uh, but at the same time, it's It's limited how much you can do when you are five people. And we want to continue to stay five people, so we want to continue to have those constraints on just how much stuff we can take on our plate, and we're really happy having those constraints. And of course also, being so few people, when something like big conference months come up, um, that takes away quite a bit of our our workforce when Jason or James or me or Ryan or whatever needs to um, speak and prepare presentations that's um, that's also a sizable investment on our part um, taking the time out to do something like that But I think it's really fun and I think definitely also it's benefiting us as a company to raise awareness about what we're doing and so on so it's all good
0: all right I'm looking forward to that um, well I know you're pretty busy um, got a, some busy times up ahead you want to just give a quick rundown of your upcoming appearances
1: sure um, yeah I, I'm gonna be at um, uh, the Riley open source conference short for, or short version is oscon which is uh, August 1st through fifth in Portland Is it Maine, Oregon, Portland, Oregon? All right, I did those meetup. Portland, Oregon, where we actually book quite heavily. I'm gonna do a uh, a keynote on what's the secret sauce to to Rails. Uh, I'm gonna do a session on extracting Rails from Basecamp, and I'm going to do a tutorial on um, using Rails. Uh, And actually. Uh, I think we're also going to do part of the, the most popular tutorial at OSCON, which is the AJAX tutorial. We're going to do a segment uh, together with uh, Rails Orchrist, um on the AJAX stuff in Rails. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that with uh, James Spock, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of sessions at that conference. And then there's going to be a, quite a, a good break, and the next thing is going to be... Java, um, which is a Java conference, Java slash .dot net conference in, in Denmark. Uh, all who's actually um, a big show, and I'm going to do a yeah, just a 45 minute session on, on Rails. So that's going to be that's going to be quite interesting. Entering into the lion's cage there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then in uh, following that there is. Web 2.0, I, I don't think I'm going to speak there, but uh, Jason Free, my business partner at 37signals, is going to speak on small teams, so I'm definitely also going to be there. That's in San Francisco at uh, the beginning of October. Um, and then I think there's going to be a Rails workshop done by Dave Thomas and Mike Clark that I'm probably going to pop in at. Uh, that's going to be somewhere around the mid-October, if they get it together. And of course, there's RubyCon, also in October, in Mm -hmm. San Diego. Uh, That's October 15th or something, through 17th? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, And we're going to have a ton of Rails Mm -hmm. um, speaks at that conference. I'm going to speak on the state of Rails, um, and I think we have at least three other sessions that involves Rails. That's going to be really fun too. Uh, and then when that ends uh, I fly up to uh, Amsterdam uh, Holland um, for Euro OSCON where I'm going to do probably like something similar to the keynote I did at, at the first OSCON thing and also the tutorial session. So that's in, in Amsterdam from October 17th through 20th. So October is going to be like a hugely busy month uh it's gonna be fun but i'm also kind of dreading looking forward to viewing hotels that long yeah i think it's gonna be a really nice big push for rails to um have a chance to implement so many people and show them what we've been doing for, for all this time
0: yeah yeah all right i'm looking forward to see the reactions to uh your speech at the Java conference, especially. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that's that's gonna be interesting. Um, yeah, actually, just the fun thing is about the conference that I I've gone there two times before as a as a student worker um, just to get in to see the sessions. Uh, I went there two years ago where they actually have had Matts, the creator of uh, Ruby there, mm-hmm. uh, so that was very cool. I got to meet Matts right when I was picking up Ruby. that
0: was a that was a big thing cool great all right I think that's about all I've got um thanks for taking the time to speak with us I know you're pretty busy
1: no problem no problem I'm super excited to see um a rails podcast thing coming together um so my pleasure indeed
0: all right maybe one day we can uh get all the core members together to have a little round table discussion
1: I think that would be a great idea, and I think RubyConf is uh, coming up that.
0: All right. That sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, David.
1: No problem. See ya.
0: Bye. There you have it. First Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm a little new to all of this recording and speaking, so uh, we'll get the bugs worked out and get it sounding good. We're going to try to push out new episodes every Monday, so... Be sure to keep us in your aggregators, your iTunes, or whatever you're using to get podcasts. You can also vote for us on PodcastAlley.com. You can find us on audio.com. Don't forget to tell your friends and loved ones about us. Until next time, happy railing.